Let me tell you something that um, I thought of the other day. And this is going to sound a little on the strange side. Uh, Betty says, are you going to say that in church? I says, no, I'm not planning on it. She says, I think you ought to. And then later she changed her mind. So I changed my mind. I was, I was by myself, and I'm, I'm, I'm thinking, you know. And sometimes I keep trying to figure out why things are the way they are. And so I try to go back into the past. Have you ever tried to go back into the past? Well, I was really way back there. But um, I've often wondered just how God did all the things that he did. It just blows my mind, thinking of eternity. And then I would sit and think about, here's a guy like, you know, Stephen. He was a, a holy man, a godly man, just man. They probably just voted him in as being the head deacon. And he preached one super sermon. It was a Lulu. He didn't pull any punches. They didn't either. They killed him. But before he died, it says that he lifted up his eyes and he saw Jesus on the throne. Now, I have to be honest now. I'm trying to figure out what kind of eyesight did he have. He was able to see Jesus standing up. You realize how far away he must be? And then he could see him? Now, I'm trying to figure out in my mind, how long did it take the light to travel from there to come to here for him to stand up and then had the light to come out and then he finds he sees him? I've read some scriptures sometimes and it kind of seems like there's some things that's going on around us that we can't see. You remember the story about Elisha whenever there was these, you know, the Syrians were going to zap them. They were totally outnumbered. But his servant, ah, he says, what are we going to do? He says, uh, well, there's more with us than there is with them. He said, what? Lord, let him see what's going on. And all of a sudden, he was able to see, and there were all these angels around about him. Well, it wasn't much to it. That's all over with. Multitudes dead. What do you think? Now, wait, wait. Where'd they come from? Me, I always want to know these things. And when Daniel prayed in the ninth chapter, it says that the angel couldn't even get to him to bring him the message even after he heard his prayer 21 days before. So, he says, another angel was bothering that angel and he had to call for another angel to give him some help so he could get over there and deliver the message. You know, there's something going on behind the scenes that we can't see. I was thinking and telling Betty, I said, honey, let me, let me run something by you. This is not what I believe. This is just something that I might think about believing. Here we are. The Lord says, the earth is his footstool. Doesn't it say that somewhere? The earth is my footstool. What if, just if, what if everything we think about God and heaven, instead of it being billions and billions of light years away, it's right here in another dimension that we cannot see. Is it possible for God to have angels that can appear and disappear at will? Yeah. But sometimes I go outside and I think, and John 
saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down from God out of heaven, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I thought, how far away was it? Now, most people, they probably don't care. All right, I do. I want to know how far it was away, and he saw it. Did he have binoculars? How far away? Was he really small? When we see that 1,500 miles high, wide and long, holy city coming toward the earth, how far away has he got to be? How long is it going to take? Could we spot him coming now? Because he's got to get here soon, you know. Because look how far away. Or how fast would they be traveling? How fast is this holy city going to be moving? And how that somebody can see things they'd never seen before. And a man like Paul can die and be caught up into paradise. Is it possible that when you go out on some night, if God would let you see it, wouldn't it be wonderful if it's right there, the holy city, but we can't see it with these eyes. There's so much that God has done as you read the scriptures, and so it's right there. Now, I'm curious. I have a curious mind. I can't help the way I'm wired. No, I've never heard anybody else say this, but this is just stuff that I think about. Because I don't believe my prayers have to make a trip, a journey someplace. Even when Christ was here, he says, the kingdom of God is within you. Or maybe we are within the kingdom of God. Maybe if God could let us see, the earth really is his footstool. And he's right there. And he sees and hears everything that goes on because he's here. Now, we know he lives within us. So sometimes when you understand a few of the natural things that happens in life, you can understand a few things that are spiritual things happening in life. Turn in your Bible to the Gospel of John. The Gospel of John. Now, everything I just told you, forget about it. Don't, don't think about it at all. But I want us to look at some things, and the Lord says that there's a lot of natural things that we see, but he uses them to teach spiritual things. You remember when he told Nicodemus in John chapter 3, he says uh, in verse 3, Jesus answered, said unto him, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, Except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Now, in the next verse, verse 5 down here, it says, you cannot enter into the kingdom of God unless you're born again. So you must be born again to see it and to enter it. So is it something we can see? Now, we know that it goes far beyond this time in which we live. But we'll have to admit there is another world being lived at the same time as ours. There is an angelic world that we cannot see. There is the good angels and there's the bad angels. And there's the devil which we cannot see. But is he real? And does the devil have power? And does he influence? But you can't see them. As far as you and I know, there could be a hundred thousand angels in this room. I don't know because I've never seen one. I don't know how many angels can sit on the head of a pin. Never really tried to figure it out. But he makes this statement. He says, when I said unto thee, you must be born again. That which is born of the flesh is flesh. That which is born of the spirit is spirit. 
One you can see, one you cannot see. Then he talks to Nicodemus and he tells him something that he should understand, after all, being a ruler in Israel. But it's amazing how Jesus, who was a young man in his 30s, was probably talking to a, a sainted individual that's been around for a while. And he says down here in verse 9, Nicodemus answered and said unto him, How can these things be? Jesus answered and said unto him, Art thou a master of Israel? Knoweth not these things? Verily, verily, I say unto thee, We speak that we do know, and testify that we have seen, and ye receive not our witness. If I have told you earthly things, and you believe not, how shall ye believe if I tell you of heavenly things? So there is a correlation between the two. So while Christ was here, he used many different things that you could see and understand to teach spiritual things you could not see and understand. Soon as he said that, he referred to something that, hey, Nicodemus, you suppose to know this. And he refers there in verse 14, and as Moses lifted up the servant in the wilderness. Now, that literally happened. It was solid material. A literal man made a brazen serpent and put it on a pole and had it lifted up. But why did he do that? Because there were people being bitten by serpents and they were dying. And so the only thing they had to do was look at the serpent and they would live. Nothing else. Look and live. So simple. But do you think there is a spiritual truth to the illustration? to the story, to the natural thing that literally happened of a pole, a snake, the people dying, is that an illustration of some spiritual truth? So we have a microphone down here. All right, I want to know, and I'll start with Bob Gilbert. Tell me, what is the spiritual truth that we're supposed to learn from Moses and the serpent. Jesus said to Nicodemus, as the serpent was lifted up in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have eternal life. So is there spiritual the truth spiritual to the truth, illustration? The spiritual truth is that he was going to be lifted up, and eternal life would be offered to anyone that just, as in the other day, they had to just look, he says, now all a person can do is believe in him. All right. So there is a relationship between that which you cannot see and that which you can see. So he uses the visible things, things we're supposed to know and understand, to teach us something else that we could not understand without it. That which is flesh is flesh, that you can see. That which is spirit is spirit, that you cannot see. So then you look up there in verse 8. The wind bloweth where it listeth, and thou hearest the sound thereof, but canst not tell whence it cometh and whither it goeth, so is every one that is born of the Spirit. Now, wind is something that is real to every one of us. But what is it a picture of in the story? Why is he doing this and using the wind for anything? What's the purpose of it? 
Bob Brooks. The Holy Spirit. All right, the type of the Holy Spirit. Now, how would you relate that to this? What is the purpose of it? What's the point? There's got to be a point to this. There's a physical birth and a spiritual birth. All right, the spiritual birth is something that happens because of the Spirit. And though the wind, you may feel the wind, you know it comes and you know it goes. And you can see results of the wind blowing through the leaves and so forth. But the Holy Spirit birth, you cannot see the Holy Spirit birth. If you have a spiritual birth, nobody can see it. Can you see my spiritual birth? I can't see yours. But you still have a spiritual birth. It comes from the Lord. All right, let me run this by you. Oh, wait a minute. Oh, you're not through yet. Oh, Bob's not through. Yeah, in John chapter 7, it does say, He that believeth on me, as the scripture said, out of his belly shall flow rivers of living water. But this he spake of the Spirit. So he makes sure that you understand it. This he spake of the Spirit, which they that believe on him should receive. For the Holy Ghost was not yet given, because Jesus right. was not yet glorified. So there in John chapter 7, it ties those two things together. And it shows you that that's exactly what he's talking about. But the water is something that you do understand, and that is used. And we might take a look at that later. But right now, I want you to take your Bible and turn to the book of Matthew in chapter 6. Matthew chapter 6. Matthew chapter 6. Look down there in verse 28. Verse 28. Jesus is talking, and he's given another illustration. But remember, he's using something they can see and they can understand to teach something else. Now, when he says in verse 28, And why take ye thought for raiment? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow, they toil not, neither do they spend. Yet I say unto you that even Solomon in all of his glory was not arrayed like one of these. What is the point? What is he teaching? What is the purpose of using a lily? What's the purpose of that? Mr. Peter Amato. <laughs> that the things of the world, that are, even though they're beautiful, they're here and they're gone. They don't last. There's only the physical things, regardless of how beautiful they are, they disappear. All right. And it talks about they will fade away. These things will fade away. There's also something else that's mentioned here about this. In the context, it reveals several other things. But the other one I want you to kind of put with that is about the fowls of the air. See there in verse 26? Behold, the fowls of the air. He talks about the birds. But what is he teaching about the birds? So remember, God created everything. He comes into this world and he's using these things that we can see to teach us things we cannot see. But what is the point of telling us about fowls of the air? What is the purpose of that? Yes. Really, both the fowls of the air and the lilies of the field have the same point, which is... There is a you guys correlation. Are caught up, you guys are too caught up in what you're going to eat, what you're going to drink, what you're going to put on, 
He said, your father in heaven cares about lilies, he cares about birds, he cares a lot more about you, and you need to get caught up with the things of the kingdom of God as opposed to the things of mundane life. He said, seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. Take no thought about what you'll put on or what you'll eat or what you'll drink. All right, very good. So all these things have a spiritual meaning even though it's about the natural things, the things you can see and understand. But God takes these choice objects. He was the master teacher, and he would know how to illustrate a truth, spiritual truths. And everywhere he went, the Bible just talks about all these things, the wisdom that he had, because he had an advantage over us. He made all those things. He knew exactly how to use everything because he used it. And if you go through the scriptures, you'll see this over and over and over again, how that there's things that he wants us to, to know. And one of the things about these things that he's saying here is so that you and I will not worry. And why should we worry? Because we have somebody that can take care of the birds and there's somebody who can take care of the of the lilies. And that's why you'll find it in here. How much more important are you? How valuable are you? And um, when you think about this, there are some things you can not change. See there in verse 27? There are some things in life you can't change. Which of you, by taking thought, can add one cubit? Unto a statue. I think I'll make myself another 18 inches taller. Hmm. You can do it wider. Hmm? <laughs> you can do it wider. I'm talking about going higher, stature, this way. But he says, you, you can't do that. There are some things you can't control, you can't do. But look how. He says it all in just two little lines, two sentences. And he says all of this, one sentence. And he didn't say it. And then you look there where he makes this statement in verse 31. Therefore, therefore, as you apply these simple little things, take no thought, saying, what shall we eat or what shall we drink or what with all shall we put on and so on. And the purpose is your heavenly Father knoweth what you have need of. And he can take care of the fowls of the air, and he can take care of the lilies of the field. How much greater value are you? Can God take care of you? Yes, he can. Take your Bible and look there in Matthew chapter 10. Matthew chapter 10. And you'll notice that down through here, he's talking to his disciples about not being afraid. But then he, right in the middle of it, he says something. So there's got to be a, a reason for it. There's got to be a purpose for it. So in verse 31, Dan, verse 31, it says, excuse me, verse 30, but the very hairs of your head are all numbered. Now, God got a lot to count on Dan's head. <laughs> me, it's not as big of a problem anymore. But the very hairs of your head are numbered. What's the point? What is the point? Here's Jesus Christ, God that created the heavens and the earth, 
Do you think he has a purpose or a point in everything he says? So when you read the Bible, you don't just read it over his head. Now, what's the point? What's the point? What's the purpose? Why does he say that? And the reason I keep talking is because I'm giving Dan time to try to think of what it might mean. And Dan, the man, is ready. My hair is important. <laughs> no, no, no. I'm going to give him some of them soap flakes. God is all-knowing. He's all-knowing. All right, can you tell me any more? He knows what we're going through. He knows everything about us. He knows the, if he can number the hairs of our head, then he knows the problems that we're having and the problems we're going to have. He knows the tribulations and the, and the answers to all of our prayers before we ask them. So if he knows every hair on your head, then he must know everything else that is important. If he knows the least little thing, like how many hairs do I have on my head? then he must know everything else that we don't know. And if you know and understand that your God in heaven knows everything, you ought to be able to trust him. Now, in context, he's also warning them about, don't be afraid, don't be afraid, don't be afraid. And then he talks about how that God can take care of everything. Why do you think he uses this illustration? Look in verse 29. In verse 29, are not two sparrows sold for a farthing? And one of them shall not fall on the ground without your father. What in the world does that mean? Why would he say that? What's that got to do with anything? All right. Peter Amato, you want to take a stab? We are talking about verse 29. Verse 29. One of them shall not fall on the ground without your father. Okay, what's the point? Well, what again, is a spirit, i got to have a spiritual lesson from this. It's got to be a spiritual God, lesson. God knows the most minute details that we overlook all the time, and yet it's God is paying attention to everything. We don't notice when a sparrow falls to the ground, but God does. So the lesson is, God is saying, listen, if I know those little bitty things about sparrows, the least, the smallest of the things, how much more do I know about you? How much more do I care about you? He's trying to show his love by giving these these dr dramatizations. All right, y'all accept all of that? Sounds good to y'all? All right. Uh, all right, go ahead. Well, in the context of this, um, he's already talked about not being fearful of him which can kill the body, but to fear God who can kill the body and the soul. And he's in the context of what he's saying here is that you need to go out and preach the gospel. You need to go out and speak the word of God and not be afraid of man, and not be afraid of being persecuted, and not being afraid of being killed for the gospel. That is very good. I appreciate that. You'll also notice in the same chapter, when you look at it and get close to the end of the chapter, there's something there that relates to everything he said before. You see, what does he say there in verse 42? All right, um, Mr. Um, Bob Gilbert in verse 42, and whatsoever or whosoever shall give to drink unto one of these little ones a cup of cold water. A cup of cold water. So small, a little cup of cold water. There must be a story here. There must be a spiritual lesson here. Because just like he told Nicodemus, how can you understand spiritual things if you can't even understand these physical things? 
the earthly things. Because he uses earthly things that we do know and teach us spiritual truths. Bob? Well, he's from about verse 38 to the end, he's teaching about the value of serving and following him as opposed to serving yourself. He that findeth his life shall lose it. And he says that there's reward for this kind of service. And then he says, even if it's just to somebody who seems like a, a person that's not worth very much, I'm thinking about visiting the people in prison or the people that are in hospital or whatever. Then another passage, he talks about the least of these, my brethren, you've done it unto me. And here he's saying, if you give a cup of cold water unto one of these little ones in the name of a disciple, you'll be rewarded for that. It doesn't matter that you're not actually able to give Jesus a cup of cold water. You're giving it to him when you serve the least among you, the little ones or the, the ones that can't help themselves. So you could add to this, you get a reward even for something as small as offering somebody a cup of cold water. In the name of a disciple. Every, every little thing, every little thing, these little things are big things. You see, most of us in our life, uh, we're looking for those great opportunities. Well, when the great opportunity comes by that you know, deserves my attention, I'll be right there. But do you know if you're not faithful in those little bitty things, you may never get those big opportunities because you won't take advantage of those little ones. Why should God give you big opportunities? Learn to be faithful in little things. And if you will be, then you'll be faithful in that which is much. Now take your Bible and turn to the book of Matthew chapter 16. Matthew chapter 16. And I want to tell you what is the point. You know, everybody knows what a rock is. Everybody knows what a pebble is. But there's something that's mentioned here in verse 13 of Matthew 16. When Jesus came into the coast of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, saying, Whom do men say that I, the Son of Man, am? And they said, Some say that thou art John the Baptist, some Elijah, and some Jeremiah, and one of the prophets. He said unto them, But whom say ye that I am? Simon Peter answered and said, Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. Jesus answered and said unto him, Blessed art thou, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood hath not revealed it unto thee, but my Father which is in heaven. And I say unto thee, that thou art Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Mr. Bob Brooks, there is a statement there that says, this rock. And we know that Peter is a pebble. What's the point? He's building upon the rock, which is Christ. All right, but what Other is... Other foundation can no man lay. Right. Why did he refer to Peter as a pebble and him as the rock? What's the purpose of it, Don? He's bigger than Peter. Peter is going to, Peter's going to Rome and he's going to start the church, and the church is founded upon Peter? No. No, it's no. It's founded upon Christ. Okay. All right. Built upon the foundation. 